Hi, this is Jerome Davis. Uh, welcome to the Burning Cold Theatre Company podcast series, Into the Fire. We're very excited today to have Alec Donaldson, a man whose face and name is known throughout the Triangle's arts and nonprofit sector. And we are very fortunate to have Alec as the chair uh, incoming of our board of directors uh, in this uh, upcoming 21st season at Burning Cold. Alec, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very good. We're, uh, we're excited to have you um, because uh, a lot of people will know your face but won't know your history. Could you tell us just a little bit about your background, where you're from originally, and uh, how you got to North Carolina, and how you got interested in, in theater particularly? Sure. Um, I was born in Princeton, New Jersey. Uh, I came to Chapel Hill, that was my first brush with North Carolina, uh, as an undergraduate at UNC um, in the 70s and uh, then left, really like North Carolina, but left, ended up in Virginia after graduation, went to law school several years later, and uh, my wife and I at that time decided let's move back to North Carolina. And you were married to Georgia Donaldson, who's yes. also very active in the nonprofit world. Uh, that is, that well. is correct, yes. What did you study at Chapel Hill? Uh, I originally was a, a, a BFA in drama, uh -huh. student, but I, but I switched after I realized that I wasn't good enough um, to comparative literature, so a simple BA in that. But I was involved in, in, in drama and theater at the at UNC all, all four years that I attended. That's exciting, and, and you performed with Playmakers. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so pretty good, it seems like. Uh, uh, Alec, uh, how did uh, law uh, in, uh, come out of that? Uh, that seems like a, a, bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a stretch. Uh, yes, it was, and if you had told me while I was in college or shortly after graduating that, uh, I would be, uh, that I would go to law school, I would have said, you're out of your mind. Um, I, it was, I, after college, I went to spend a year at the Virginia Museum Theater, which is an equity house in the Virginia Museum in Richmond, um, and was an intern there, uh, and predominantly in the management side of things. But was, so was stage managing, um, we do, did everything that one does backstage, as well as was, was on the acting side in classes, et cetera, you know, a walk-on part here and there, and managed um, a touring company around the junior company, around the state. Um, at the end of that internship, there were serious funding issues um, that I realized this is a little too unsettled, mm -hmm. um, an area for me to continue in. Well, thankfully, that, that has completely <laughs> changed these days, so there's no, no sense of unsettling. Uh, in the arts community today. No, just joking, of course, but uh, uh, the more things cha uh, change, the more they stay the same, I guess. Uh, Alec, when you, um, when you found yourself uh, thinking about um, the idea of um, uh, you know, stability versus the idea of arts, that's, that's a logical thought process, but how does law come out of that? Did, did you... Because uh, yeah, I, I spent a benighted year as a, a friend of mine who was a stockbroker said, you'd be really good at this. And, and I thought, well, I guess I can give that a try. I found out I was dismal at it because I'm a horrible salesman. I, I, I detest it. But I liked the industry, and I would usually be the only one in the office that read the prospectuses for the offerings. And they're saying, okay, guys, sell this stuff. Um, and I thought, well, I could do this. 
I like to write because um, it really is. It's telling a story about right. the company and all that. So that's where, and I, and I did take classes at night at a business school in Richmond and realized, hmm, numbers and I just don't get along. Mm -hmm. And so it just was not something that was going to, that I would do well at. So, but law school, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I went, and in the days when you could just be walking off the street in a law firm and get a job as a paralegal, um, you could do it. You didn't need training. And so that's what mm -hmm. I did for a year and then went mm -hmm. to law school. I did the same thing, uh, more or less, uh, on Wall Street. I, I sort of wandered in when I got to New York, uh, and they hired me, and within 18 months, I was the registration manager of the company, uh, which, which is a very, very important position, you know, because you're making sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's crossed uh, uh, for people who are going to be handling, you know, client accounts. Uh, and um, But I suspect that today one could not, do that quite quite so easily. There's a more rigorous uh, uh, system in place there. Um, and today you you work in the corporate law sector primarily, is that correct? Yes, corporate and securities, predominantly public companies, um, so all of their SEC filings, so that's my mm -hmm. writing the story every time they have to do a quarterly or an annual report, their right. proxy statements for their their, uh, their shareholders, uh, their financings, when you're again telling the story about what the transaction is and what the company does, etc. So you're not the, you're not uh, Matlock, you're not up in front of a jury uh, or Perry Mason. <laughs> no, never wanted to be, that is too confident confrontational for me. I, I like being behind my desk and be able to think. Right. Um, I'm not an ad lib. I'm not a uh, um, improv. an improv actor by any stretch of the imagination. I would never want it to be. I like a script yeah. and I like to stay to a script. The only time I did take trial advocacy in law school because it was, I can't remember it was required, but it was certainly heavily recommended. And I thought, well, this will be fun to do. And we, we argued cases in front of people who lived in Williamsburg, mm -hmm. um, and that was that was the the drudgery of it of like oh well he's kind of leading the witness but that's okay I don't want to be a jerk um, or you know is that you know is that evidence you know admissible you're, you're sitting there making those sort of decisions yeah. um, how, and how that's going to play with the with the jury etc. The only fun part was closing argument for me when I was pacing up and down the courtroom looking at the audience and Telling the heads are swiveling yeah. as I walk past them. That was, that was rather fun, having an audience sure. hanging on your words. Sure. So, so not uh, Matlock, but... No, but it is, the courtroom is performance. But maybe, uh, maybe Atticus Finch uh, <laughs> a bit. Uh, yeah, uh, very good. Uh, that's, uh, that's nice. Now, um, so, so you had done, and many people go through this process, you had done theater early in your life and then uh, moved to a more stable area. And by the way, you work at Wyrick Robbins. Uh, what is the full name of the company? Wyrick Robbins, Yates, and Palm. Right, and you guys are based up in North Raleigh, uh, one of the older and more respected law firms in the Triangle, I think. Uh, uh, is that a fair Thirty-something years old now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, so, but get, getting to that point, uh, uh, not many people come back to it uh, with, with the vengeance and the way that you have, it seems to me, in your adult life. Um, come back to the arts. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, and you, you have, I feel like you've found another way in uh, to the arts. I mean, you are acting and you are performing, you sing. Uh, but you're also very uh, heavily involved behind the scenes with a lot of different uh, organizations 
and, um, and, and uh, not just the arts side, but the funding side as well. Can you tell us just a little, I, I mean, we'd be here for hours, but tell us just a little bit about some of the things you've done over the last 20 or so years? Uh, sure. Um, well, first thing, just uh, I, both my wife and I have always loved the arts. We met on the stage of Playmakers Theater in an acting <laughs> class in sophomore year. Um, and in fact, yesterday, seeing Ben Cameron at the NCTC conference, he said, well, I assume has Georgia you know, gotten bitten again yet? Because yeah. she was in Playmakers as well. And I said, no, actually, I have. Um, and he was surprised at that. But Georgia was good, and I was not um, back in those days. Yeah. Um, anyway, so but we have always loved the arts. Um, I guess when I got out of law school in 84, and I was involved in the arts even before I went to law school. For example, um, I ran into somebody, and I, I knew what I was talking about with ballet, and the Richmond Ballet was really starting to come along, and they asked me to go on the board of that. So that was my first real art, artistic endeavor. Richmond Ballet. The Richmond Ballet, uh-huh. And the, this, the, the woman who was the executive director at the time is still the executive, executive director now. I think uh, Keith Martin uh, got, took a job up there with the Richmond Ballet for a while. Do you know Keith at all? I, I do not. He no. was at Charlotte Rep for, for years, was the managing okay. director there. Um, well, that's beside the point yeah. then. Sorry, so, so continue. So, so from there then, after law school, I mean, in the, I got out of law school in 84, and we moved to New Bern, North Carolina, and a, a little town like that particularly always needs people to do something. And that was also back in the day of a model, of, a model sort of life of, oh, well, how do you get ahead and how do you make a name for yourself? And it was just you were expected to be part of the community. And so I went on to the, um, the Craven Arts Council board, and was on that for, gosh, we lived there eight years. I was on it probably six years, I think. Do you, um, do you see that, that idea still prominent today in, in our society? I, um, I, I, I think the idea of involvement in the community, yes, is important. How it is carried out is different, at least from what, what I did and from what I see. And people my age do sit around and sort of wonder, it's like, well, gee, where, you know, how, what are those channels? Um, and I think as, as Raleigh has gotten so much larger, I can, we moved here in 92, and just, just simply the number of theater companies that have evolved since that yep. time is phenomenal. And the amount of artistic endeavor in the town, there's so much now that um, I wonder, there, there's so many more channels that you can go in. But I do think the more established arts organizations, particularly the funding entities like United Arts, I was on that board for six years, um, are struggling to find how do we make that connection with younger people now coming into the area. And part of that's a function of just how do you find them, what are they interested in, but also the, the individual institution, you have to look at exactly what they're providing and, and what they're... Um, what they offer people coming into town. Ben spoke. Uh, ben Cameron spoke a great deal about this yesterday at the NCTC conference. Um, so, um, and I wonder, as I listen to you speak, if if the digital age is is primarily responsible for that disconnect. Ironically enough. Uh, yeah, um, that I don't know. Um, one thing I've heard um, talked about is that millennials. Sorry to use that. Some people use it as pejorative, but yeah. I mean, but, but let's talk about for younger people, is that they want an experience. So simply going to the theater, for example, is not 
a be-all and end-all. It is, oh, well, I'm going to the theater, but there's a food truck, or there's something, or there's something that it's attached to. Or I, I think the way sort of fundraising, people seem to want to be more directly engaged rather than just write a check, like for United Way. They want to actually, oh, we really want to go out and do Habitat for Humanity. Or our company, we're going to do spend a week every day, morning, we're going to go do Meals on Wheels or something like mm -hmm. that where it is more in, more physically and personally involved. Hands on. Yeah. yeah, I think people are much more interested in, in that type of endeavor. And where that leaves the arts, which you can't just walk into a theater and you know do lighting or whatever. You, you really need to tell people this is why. It, you need to make sure that they understand why it's important. And then you also got to get them excited about it via programming or location or moving around. But it's a challenge that, as, as you know, every arts organization faces. And again, I, I, I feel like it comes back to the digitalization of, of the culture because so much of people's lives are not hands-on. They're, they're in two dimensions in front of them. And, and so there's a craving for this active third dimension to be put in place. But you're right, it, it wouldn't be particularly useful for a, a person to just walk out on stage in a theater without any training experience or rehearsal time. And so there's a, there's a disconnect between pe what people want to do and what they have the time to do. Uh, and in the course of professional arts, the time uh, is extensive in order to participate. So I, I, I completely hear you there. You've worked with United Arts. You've also been on boards of other arts organizations. Uh, right, I was on the board of Arts Together for six years. Then I think right after that I went on to, I was on the City of Raleigh Arts Commission for nearly six years. Um, went then on to United Arts, had a bit of a hiatus, um, and then joined your board. Have you worked with other theaters uh, besides Burning Coal? No. Okay. I mean, my wife is the is the, the, the current president of the Raleigh Little Theater. Uh -huh. So she's been on that board now three or four years. Wow, you guys so. are leading two, two of Raleigh's <laughs> major arts organizations in your spare time. Uh, that's fantastic. That's really amazing. I wonder how many uh, couples uh, <laughs> have done that uh, before. That, uh, that seems uh, quite extraordinary. Um, do you, uh, you, so you came here in the early 90s, so you're, you're, you know, you've been here for 30 years, basically. Um, what do you uh, see as the major changes that have happened in the arts community over that 30 years? Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about where we're going from, from here. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I'd say it, it's moved from a much, much, in 92, it seemed it well, monolithic is not the correct word, but there, there was a much more structured hierarchy of a few institutions that sort of ran town, and also the choices. I mean, there was North Carolina Theater, um, Theater in the Park, really, and Raleigh Little Theater were sort of the, the main theater companies. Uh, Raleigh Ensemble players uh, were, were in the mix there, but it, um, you know, on the fringe, they ended up you know, folding. But those, those After 30 were years, right, right, right. But they, but they were around. Um, and, and when we came to town, United Arts was a a major organization to be on the board. I mean, it, it had that social cachet, if you will. And it was it was still part of the. At that point, there was really you know the business leaders would get together and say, "This is what our town needs," and we're, so we're going to. This is important to us. Um, Charlotte, same thing. Um, and and that was a big model for a while. And the, 
question that, that I see is, is that model still working? Because the whole point of that was everyone funneled money through one entity and then it spread it out. That's been totally broken apart as everybody has gone for either line item funding from various um, governments or just you know on their own to corporations, et cetera. Um, so that, that, that model doesn't exist any longer. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's a bad or a good thing. It just it's it is what it is. Um, and there has been so that's the one thing where you've moved away from sort of a fracturing of how money is collected and dispersed, mm -hmm. um, as well as to just a, an explosion. I think of of artistic endeavors. The the amount of theater, for example, in this town, I, I, you I simply can't see it all. It's it's just. It, there's so much. I mean, yeah. June used to be a sleepy month. June, my lord, the number yeah. of productions going on is is amazing. Right. The co uh, college NC State yeah. would do their theater fest. Yeah. And I'd say also that the, the professionalism, <coughs> even if it's not, quote, professional, but the professionalism in the performing arts, in the theater community in Raleigh, has increased exponentially mm -hmm. um, since... We came to town. Why do, you it, think, why do you think that is? I think certainly the, uh, one just the sheer growth of the city, um, and uh, people seem to be able to. There, I think people are much are able to, or it seems a lot of the people that I know are realize that I have to have a day job to support myself. But I am very serious about being in the theater, whether it's writing for it, directing it, or acting, or, or some other role, right. um, and, and the day job allows them to do that, and, and they are, and there are many, many examples of people like that, and many, many walk the boards here at, at, at Burning Cold. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's partly that we, we reached a, a, a size that could support those numbers, and I think, again, the explosion in the number of, of, of um, theatrical endeavors in town is is indicative of that. So critical mass, and that of mm -hmm. course goes throughout the triangle and really beyond. But <clears throat> but that said, <clears throat> it's worth pointing out, and, and this is not a pleasant topic really, but over the last 15 years, the state of North Carolina has lost Raleigh Ensemble players. We just lost um, Deep Dish in Chapel Hill, which was a professional level company. Um, we lost the North Carolina Shakespeare Festival, which was a fully professional Shakespeare Festival in High Point. Uh, we lost one of the two professional theaters up in the mountains. Perhaps there wasn't enough critical mass in that area to, to, to support both of them, so that one feels a little more logical. But uh, And then, uh, of course, we've lost some of the smaller organizations like Common Ground uh, recently, um, uh, so my question is, given all this activity and given the rising professionalism, which I see as well, I think it's, a, it's extraordinary, um, why have some of the bigger institutions um, found it difficult to, to stay, um, stay, stay uh, active? Why, why do you think that's happened? Uh, in the last, say, 15 years? Um, well, of course, some of the examples you gave, I guess the, the North Carolina Shakespeare Festival, that would be the, the bigger. Um, sure. Uh, you know, rep was certainly much smaller. Right. Um, Shakespeare Festival, I think that was, I think that's partly just a, a, a victim of the times. Um, I think they came along at a time when it was, there was a, this is what culture is, it's stemming from the, the educational background that people came from. I guess you could say that that, that was more Eurocentric, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
I think also, you know, that that's just, you know, people love Shakespeare, but I'm not sure it translates, or, or put it this way, a certain portion of the population loves Shakespeare, and I'm not sure that translates into enough ticket sales in and of itself, unless you're really going to the schools, et cetera. I mean, certainly they struggled to find audiences with, when they were still touring here in, in Raleigh, and I would go see in the house would just not be what it what it needed to be. So I think that may be may have been a victim of the times as people have moved more towards much more diversity in um, in sheer content, um, not to mention casting, et cetera. Of course, the casting, you know, that that can be part of Shakespeare as it, as it is, of course, now. But um, I think the diversity of content particularly is what's driving. With the smaller ones, I mean, a lot of it may just be you, you need to have support. You, so you need the dollars, and even if you can get it from funding organizations, you still need that personal involvement. And if you, if, it, it may be part of it's you can't attract that. It, it's also management's a, a huge part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Whether they're ready to move on or whether they can again attract um, people that are going to be willing to work with them. I, I don't know the situations. I'm not suggesting that's right. anything that pl played into any of those others. Um, but well, it's, that, it's, that's so, a, a, each institution <coughs> is is unique. Most institutions, like most events, have a life cycle, mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't mean that it's terminal, right. but it means that they're going to, you know, be at different stages. And um, the life needs to take on different characteristics if it's going to change with the times. Right. And I, I see that all the time. It's very easy running a, a nonprofit to find your level of comfort and then stay there, you know, and it feel everything feels great, and suddenly you look down and there's nothing under underneath you, and so you know one has to keep pushing forward, one has to keep bringing new ideas, new faces into the into the building. In our case, um, what, let's talk about the future, uh, Alec, and I'm not uh, buttering you up here, but the honest truth is that in the next 15 or 20 years, you and Georgia will be, you know, knock on wood. We'll be, Alive. Well, I was going to say, uh, let's hope, let's <laughs> knock on wood twice. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll be uh, at the forefront of deciding how uh, the city uh, progresses, uh, uh, if it progresses uh, in the arts. Um, my personal philosophy, which I'll throw out just, uh, just because I always like to get ahead of the game a little bit, is that uh, that funding uh, from from the government, that public subsidy for the arts is a critical factor for the simple reason that arts is not just entertainment. Art, uh, as defined by Aristotle, is entertainment and education combined. And if you do just the entertainment part, you it's not a difficult sell. But if you put them together and create art, it becomes a much more difficult sell. And so one of the responsibilities that our government has, uh, in my uh, humble opinion, is to make sure that the more challenging work uh, is being done for the betterment of all of us. Uh, and if that means that, that a number of the population is excluded from that, then, then that has to be the case, just as not every person in the city drives on every road, but that doesn't mean the city doesn't pave that road, right? Uh, because it's good for everyone, for those who drive on that road, to be able to drive on it. So, so my, my, my argument going forward is that we need increased public subsidy for the arts. 
How much do you agree with that? No, just kidding. Uh, how, how do you feel about that as, as one of the central movers and shakers in the arts community? Um, well, I, d I do agree with it. I think that government w wants, fundamentally, or should want, to have whole citizens. Um, and when you look at the arts, I think that is simply one of the package. You need sound mind, sound body. Nobody seems to complain about parks right. and what parks offer. Mm -hmm. That's just a given that, oh, well, we need that because people can't afford all the space on their own, so that is something that we are going to do, and we're going to do programming for that because that's important, get Des children out and all that sort despite of stuff. Despite the fact that a relatively small number of the population actually uses the it, parks. It, yeah. it, that, that may be the case. I don't know the figures, but you're, yeah. you're right. Or any particular, let's say, because there, there are a lot of parks in Raleigh, and obviously not everybody's going to use that particular park. Correct. Um, the same thing with other, there, there are other activities that, that are supported. I mean, there was, uh, I don't know whether we have, but there was a big push to have, like, you know, firing ranges, you know, established. Mm -hmm. um, um, athletic facilities, um, certainly, you know, swim clubs, things like that. So people realize that, okay, you know, athletics are important, sound mind, sound body. Again, I view the arts as the same way that that sort of, you're right, there's the entertainment portion to it, because entertainment in and of itself can also lead to insight. But I do think um, the deeper aspects of the arts do provide critical thinking, mm -hmm. as well as addressing the issues that we all as human beings face, whether those are eternal issues um, that, that, that humans grapple with or whether they're the more um, ephemeral, um, although always there in some way, shape, or form, yes. the, but the, the more topical issues that, that face us, you know, right. whether it's politics or particular disasters, diseases, etc. Yeah, and there are, there are people who make the argument that, that, that the theater should be topical, that it, that it shouldn't be thinking uh, in terms of the, the vast stretch of history, it should be addressing uh, the needs of today's audience because unlike other art forms, it is here today and gone tomorrow, right? It, it is ephemeral. And so the, the best use of, of the theater um, for public consumption is to address issues of, of immediate concern. And, and I think sometimes those issues, as you say, uh, never leave us. Uh, poverty, uh, for instance, uh, or um, unfortunately, uh, uh, diversity, you know, those sorts of issues. But, uh, but, but anyway, that's, uh, that's good. I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, uh, we, uh, we have seen uh, the, the tide rise over the last, since I came here 20 years ago, uh, in terms of public subsidy and our feeling that, um, that we may have hit a plateau and we're hoping to find the next um, uh, surge, the, ne the next great leap forward, to, to borrow a, a phrase from, uh, from some of our socialist friends. Uh, what, do you, what else do you want to say before we uh, sign off today, Alec, about, about burning coal, uh, about our coming season, uh, uh, or about other things happening that you're excited about in the community? Um, I'm very excited about burning coal, but then I, I always am. I, I think the upcoming season is really going to be exciting. Um, the dark side, I look very much forward to, to seeing. I am probably one of the few people of my, maybe ever, 
um, that has never listened to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Uh -huh. I may have heard bits and pieces of it without being aware, but yeah. yes, I um, went to school in the 70s and I, I, it just eluded me. You were always or, or out I of eluded the room. It. When, yeah, yeah. I think it may be the other, you know, the latter, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, uh, good. Yeah, Dark, Dark Side is up and then Peter Pan and, after and, that. And Peter Pan, I think that's great. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what Bernie Cole does with Peter Pan with its, its, its own rendition of it. Um, um, Bernie Cole's never had a Christmas show, and not that Peter Pan is Christmassy, but it is, it is, I guess you could say, certainly at least family-based. Yes. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, the Normal Heart in February, January, February, I guess yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot. Um, we are trying, actually, to work on something with uh, the Triangle AIDS Alliance. Um, as part of that show. And that would be through United Arts as well. Uh, right? Along with United Arts yeah. doing, doing a sort of a, a triple header um, for each of our organizations that ties their main fundraisers in with that production mm -hmm. um, to really leverage the message um, of each organization and, and leverage the, the, the uh, to be hoped for corporate Sponsorships, and that would be uh, that would be something that took place over the course of the next year or so. That, so that is correct. Basically, November to October of two thousand eighteen. Yeah, very good. Well, we're so, looking forward to it. We've not partnered with either of those organizations directly yet, and are very much excited about that sort of collaboration. Right, and and, like, and, and I think yeah. collaborations like that are important because it, it, it there's a bigger story with all three. Um, that I think from a point of view of, of certainly press coverage, it does help, but it, it keeps the issue in front of people on a, on a, on a long-term basis. And again, as I said, it really gives us a, a, a press kit, if you will, that um, you know, as um, the show comes nearer to opening, you can really be talking about, well, why is this still important? Haven't they figured AIDS out? Right. Um, and the issue is no, they haven't, and no. it will always be. Any you know, until something is eradicated, it will always be an issue for everybody, because it, it will always touch somebody in your life. It's also a <clears throat> bigger picture uh, play, I think, in, in that it is about how society responded to something that was very, a very, very much a human issue, and how uh, how the the degree to which uh, our major institutions failed us during that whole process and how a single individual was able to stand up and uh, change the course of history and save countless lives, uh, perhaps all of our lives. You know, if, if he hadn't written this play and, and screamed to the heavens as he did, uh, there's no telling how many people could have been infected by it, uh, you know, uh, homosexual, heterosexual, uh, if there are any other options, you know, th those people too, you know. so. Uh, uh, so it very well could have saved uh, saved all of us, um, and it's a very important play in that regard. Alec, thank you very much. It's great to have you here uh, on the Into the Fire podcast. Uh, we appreciate all the work you've done for the arts over the last uh, uh, 25 years or so, and uh, particularly look forward to working with you in our 21st season here at Burning Coal. Very good. Thank you very much.